0: Hi, this is Clark Tate, and you're listening to the Urban to Country podcast.
1: Welcome to the Urban to Country podcast, a collection of inspiring and edifying conversations with amazing people. Our conversations cover everything from hunting and conservation, to mindful living, to how to be a good human. Basically, all the good stuff. Hey everyone welcome back to the urban to country podcast i am here at the bozeman conservation convention and i am here with clark tate and uh, she was a brave soul who just came up to me and said hey i'd love to be on your podcast and i said that would be awesome so here we are now and uh, clark tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and who it is that you work for here
0: so i am from the appalachian mountains of virginia I I love
1: the Appalachians. (laughs) Okay, we need to talk about Virginia later.
0: Virginia, it's a great place. Uh, And I grew up like right above North Carolina, so just up on the plateau. Cool. Uh, A little town called Laurel Fork. And so we just grew up in the woods. We had a creek running around my parents' property. That's so cool. Spent all my free time waiting and looking for crawdads and frogs which eventually died, and I was pretty sure that (laughs) I killed them all because I think I handled every one of them at some point in my childhood. (laughs) So it was a little rough. Last child in the woods and all that. Um, So, yeah, I went to school in Virginia. I studied environmental science and land use policy. Where at? The University of Virginia. Nice. Yeah. Cool. It's a great school. It has a lot of interesting, and you learn so much about (laughs) 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 culture and politics, and it's all coming together there. And uh, then I went out west to ski and uh, guide rafts and horseback riding and dog sledding and did a little bit of riding. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I had a lot of fun. That is, that sounds amazing. (laughs) It was a good, it was a very good chapter. Um, And then I decided I wanted to use my degree and got a job with a nonprofit called the Tamarisk Coalition, which was just getting started. We were focused on getting Tamarisk and Russian olive out of riverways and uh, yeah, and as a way to kind of approach riverside habitat restoration in general. Cool. And I did that work for about six and a half years with my old boss, Tim Carlson and Stacey Caligas. And then I went to California to surf and sail. And I learned how to do both really badly. <laughs> <laughs> but they're Very fun. Uh, You're still here, so it couldn't have been yeah, that badly. I lived. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I did a little bit of um, water quality monitoring at Point Reyes as a park ranger. Point Reyes nice. National Seashore, which is gorgeous. I completely recommend it to anyone who's anywhere near it. And uh, did some volunteering in Santa Cruz on the San Lorenzo and uh, surfing you know you're running into all the stuff that comes out of the the river so that was a different take on on water quality Um, and then I got into writing and did journalism for a while which I'm still sort of doing on the side and then I ran into my old boss Tim and he got me involved in this new venture called forever our rivers foundation and since I began working with him all those many years ago, he's been obsessed with how to fund river restoration in the long gotcha. term, because there are huge holes that we kept seeing with our work. And it's very hard to fund longer term projects and long term monitoring and maintenance. So it's easier to get people to fund something um, like planting trees it's immediate it's gorgeous everyone can see it you can say look what we did it's amazing people love trees yeah and it's absolutely necessary and should be done but then 10 years down the road how are those trees doing how are the systems around the trees that support them doing Um, and that stuff is a lot harder to fund so he's been thinking about how to do that for a very long time and this is one of the answers that he came up with in coordination with a lot of people he's worked with over the years and in particular the walton family foundation oh cool um yeah they've been doing a ton of great work on rivers for at least a decade and tim has worked very closely with them and they see this as a potential way to sort of fill the the void as they step back a little bit um to help leverage more corporations coming in and um and kind of adding to the pot so to back up a little bit, the pot comes from um, it's Forever Rivers Foundation is based on a cause marketing model. So okay. we Explain have explained that.
1: I I yeah. kind of know the idea, but maybe some people don't.
0: Yeah, we've licensed a logo and it's beautiful. I have it right here, which is not super helpful for a podcast, but it's yellow and blue and there's a wave kind of running across that it. That is really cool. And white. Yeah. I it, like it. It's got some movement to it um, and some blazes. It's
1: very easy to look at too. Yeah. Which sometimes Rivers. there's uh, really bad logos that you're just like, oh, what am I looking at? But yeah. I like this.
0: Yeah. And there's like bright, sunny center yeah. surrounded by a cool... Blue River, which is what a lot of us think about on the river because you get sun in your eyes. Yes. (laughs) Surrounded by blue. It's great. Um, So we license that logo to corporations and to nonprofit River Health Partners. Mm -hmm. And all that money goes into a pot that is then granted to River Health Partners. Gotcha. With an added lens of prioritization. So that's a huge issue. Anytime you have a pot of money, where are you going? for the biggest impact first. right? Um, and since we've all worked in rivers for 10 to 40 years, we know a lot of people. We have a lot of information on that ourselves. We know a lot of people who have a lot of information on that, both at the local and regional level. And most of us have spent most of our careers in the Colorado River Basin, as far as um, river health work. Uh, but we have a lot of connections outside that. And eventually, we do want this to be a nationwide program informed by um, you know a nat- national voice, basically. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, It's really new. It's like we're a year in maybe to the actual work of it, and it was all volunteer-based. Tim was running it all, my old boss, and then he got three of us on to kind of help ramp it up, and we're about to hire our first executive director, which is really exciting.
1: That is amazing.
0: Yeah, so things are happening. So we're just kind of out in the world talking about it for the first time to see... Um, how people react and how we can be receptive to their feedback and how we can design a marketing campaign that will make this logo really important to the consumer because that's what will make it valuable to a corporation who wants to put it on a product or on their website to tell everyone we value rivers. And so that needs t- that logo needs to speak to the consumer in that way to say, Oh, this, these groups really value rivers. So it's like the world wildlife fund stamp. Yeah yeah there there are a lot of really successful models out there which is why we're encouraged that this could be a really good one for rivers
1: yeah absolutely and i think as we move forward more groups like yours are going to become really crucial because sometimes i mean i know for myself so just using myself as an example before i got into conservation i had zero idea that there was anything wrong with rivers it's like oh it's water just like runs downhill, right? Like eventually it makes it back to the ocean and it rains and then it does the thing all over again. But I think as we, as we move forward, groups like yours will help people who maybe, maybe don't know as much. They'll depend on you guys to say, Hey, no, like this is an issue. Here's the, the nitty gritty, the down and dirty of, of what you need to know about the issue. And here's how you can get involved. Um, because I think for most people, they get overwhelmed with conservation, and to have groups like 2% for conservation or you guys are the World Wildlife Fund or, or whoever it is that can say, like, distill it down into a very digestible um, bite for the, the average person. I think that's really important. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that you guys are coming on the scene and that you're hiring an executive director. Um, how's it been kind of operating without, uh, you know, that structure so far?
0: Well, I, I think for me, because I've worked with Tim and Stacey on in the startup stage of the Tamers coalition, it feels a lot like that, where gotcha. there are a lot of big ideas pulling around. You're doing a lot of work um, as quickly as you can, as well as you can, and just taking what you have and moving from there and just being very honest and transparent. Like, right. here's where we're at. Here's where <laughs> we're going. Like, um, is that interesting to you? Can you help us get there? And, okay. and for example, when we reached out to Jared a week or two ago um, to ask about 2% for, um, for conservation mm-hmm. and and what the model was there, and how we could potentially collaborate. Um, and he invited us to this conference, which I love the title of. Um, yeah. Yeah, c- uh, conservation is not a competition, yep. right? Yeah, so just that idea of everyone helping one another, because yep. it, it does get overwhelming with so many groups working towards conservation, and, and how are we coming together to make that, to tell that story to the consumer, and to the average you know yep. consumer of the environment who's out in the woods walking around or swimming in a river and how safe is that river? Um, so yeah, it's been really encouraging that people have, have really wanted to step in and help and help us get this money together because then we can redistribute it to all the other groups working on rivers nationally.
1: Gotcha. So what are some of the key areas that you guys are focused on right now? Obviously you're the, the convener of the pot, but what are, like, what are some of those key areas that you wanna see people get behind and get more money behind? What are you working on?
0: It will depend a little bit right now where the money ends up coming from. Like I said, we're we're pretty knowledgeable in the Colorado River Basin. So Mm -hmm. where we have distributed grants and we've done four or five, it's been to our trusted partners in the Colorado River Basin. Um, If we get a couple of corporations that are based in the Bay Area and they want to work locally, then we probably focus on that next. I see. So yeah, uh, moving away from the Colorado River Basin where we... We know where to put money to do good really quickly. Um, We'll have to reach out, start reaching out to different networks. And since we can't do that nationwide, it will be a little bit of the chicken or the egg where we get funding first and where people are passionate about getting on the ground. And then we can start building that data to really inform a nationwide strategy.
1: Gotcha. And what can the average person do to get involved with you guys? I mean, if let's say I want to help you, what would you say that I should do?
0: That is an excellent question. I would say that you should talk to um, the nonprofits that you care about okay. or the uh, corporations that you frequent a lot or even smaller businesses or fish and tackle shops that you frequent and ask them what their commitment is to rivers, what their mm. commitment is to water, and just start getting a sense of, of who might be willing to partner with us. And just let them know that we're out there and that we're seeking partners and that we're looking to build from there. And then eventually we will be looking to provide opportunities for on the ground cleanups or plantings and just looking for those opportunities as well.
1: Gotcha. And in the grand scheme of conservation, we you, you know, you mentioned that that slogan that we're throwing around a lot of here that conservation is not a competition what do you guys see as your, obviously it's the rivers, but how do you guys see yourselves fitting in, in the broader picture of conservation? Um, just for an example, for for my nine to five, I worked for the Montana wildlife Federation and we, we kind of sit in the middle. We tried to be this balanced voice and that's kind of our role. You know, we're not, we're not an elk conservation group. And we're not a you know mountain range conservation group we're we're in the middle like we we are the convener, and we bring people together from both sides of the aisle. so where do you guys see yourselves like what's your what's your role in the in this big ecosystem of conservation
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question and it it makes me just think of the role of rivers in an ecosystem and okay. they they're sort of a report card they're collecting all of the information from the the ecosystem what's the land doing mm. you know what's the state of the forest and in california we had all those wildfires like very wild wildfires yes. and oh it was so bad it was so bad and we were talking to some guys who live downstream on the columbia and are big kite surfers and they were saying it was really wild to see the columbia running like a deep brown like all these mm. crazy colors because the tributaries were just ripping down and bringing all that topsoil and yeah with them and just hadn't seen that before um so in one way the river is kind of telling what everyone else is doing on the land what all the other conservation um organizations are doing on the land what ag's doing on the land they're just they're picking it all up and then they take it to the sea so they're connecting everything um so in way one way it feels like that's what we would be doing um so on the other side of things so not so much the report card but in supporting all the other work that you're doing um everything depends on water and in the desert southwest it's hugely important to wildlife and um where the colorado river runs dry that not running into the sea of cortez has vastly changed that ecosystem um they're huge bottlenecks for migrating birds coming over the desert southwest that ribbon of green is really important so in that specific environment where there's so little water um it's critical to wildlife habitat. Uh and then in so many other ecosystems that are seeing way too much water right now, if it doesn't effectively convey it away from the landscape, then there can be some huge impacts. Um where I'm from near West Virginia, there's a lot of uh mine tailings that they dump into tributaries historically. Gotcha. And it clogs up the landscape and then you have these massive landslides. Mm. When I was guiding in the new river gorge in west virginia we had that happen the year before i started guiding and whole sides of the gorge had been ripped away by just oversaturated landscapes so there are a variety of of reasons that um yeah not taking care of your rivers is really not taking care of your landscape and this is a long and winding (laughs) (laughs) no it's a great no it's great (laughs) um but and then as far as there's so many people working on rivers and doing amazing work on rivers we just want to help them get funding
1: gotcha basically so one of the panels later on um, i think it's tomorrow is about balancing uh river um, river conservation and and protecting rivers with recreation because i mean let's be honest like we all love to be out on the water Mm -hmm. it's fantastic it's one of the things we look forward to do you have any just like gut reactions like how do we balance those two things
0: that is a great question and the places i've seen it impact so the new river gorge is bumper to bumper rubber in Mm -hmm. the summer and um the golly gets that way when it's running and i used to work on browns canyon in arkansas and then have the privilege to attend a management meeting about that uh, maybe six years ago just talking about how many people there are and how those ecosystems get hammered and also in the grand canyon just talking to people before that was heavily red regulated that there was just poop everywhere yeah and people feel like they're remote but they're really it's a highway (laughs) right (laughs) and it has been since lewis and clark you know it's it's the way you get through the water or through the landscape um so i have a strong reaction that we do need to be very cognizant of Mm -hmm. how little true wilderness there is left and they were talking about in a panel just now that the closer you're out of town the more careful you have to be on your impact and i think we need to start expanding our mindset of what town is mm. a little bit to these yeah. suit like Yosemite and the Grand Canyon, just these gorgeous places that draw all these people and the massive amount of impact that we have there. We want to people to feel like they're in the wilderness, but kind of need to be a little more realistic about how high traffic is in those areas.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, it's this weird space with these national parks and national monuments, because on the one hand, That It is still nature. Mm -hmm. The animals are still wild. Like, if you go up to that grizzly bear, it will eat you. Like, (laughs) it's going to do what a grizzly does. But at the same time, it's a very controlled environment. So, yes, you're right. Even though we want to think, like, oh, man, the Grand Canyon is this wild place, it's really not. And it's so fragile because of the high volume of people that come there every year. And, I mean... Here in Montana, we have Glacier National Park. We have Yellowstone, and just seeing the impact that the number of people that those places get each year, mm-hmm. uh, it it is concerning. And I and I don't have the answer. And I I appreciate you know your your thoughtful answer to my question of what's the solution because I don't know that there is necessarily a, like this is the thing that will fix all of this. Yeah, I think more important is that we're having these conversations and we're acknowledging that hey, we need to do better. And let's let's talk about how we do better. So yeah, yeah.
0: definitely. And I I do think um, elevating the the role of a backyard trail and mm-hmm. how amazing that is. And I we have this this kind of glitzy nature of our culture to go to these really iconic places, and maybe yeah. we're just going a little too often. And we need to really pay attention to the places that we can get yeah more quickly, and that we can really fall in love with and take care of day to day.
1: Yeah, I don't know how many people I know that can tell me like oh yeah you know i've hiked this trail this trail this trail in glacier national park like they've hiked almost all of them and when you talk to them about their own backyard they're like oh i i didn't know that waterfalls so i was like how do you not know this waterfall is right at like 10 yeah. minutes outside your back door yeah so i agree 100 percent. yeah a little more local exploration would go a long way
0: yeah that was one of the most touching things at my grandpa's funeral somebody mentioned how proud he was and he lived in bland county virginia which is one of only two counties i think in the nation that you drive into and out of through a tunnel just between these two massive blue ridges of the blue ridge mountains and he was so proud of having walked all over walker mountain and just knowing every inch of his farm and knowing every inch of the landscape around and i think we've lost that sense of connection and of course if you live in a suburb and you're not lucky enough to up on a big yeah. farm then it's it's harder but there's still so many trail systems and so many yeah. beautiful things i actually did a trail project for an online company and found and i got to research trails all across the nation and write about them and every inch of our nation is gorgeous and has access to amazing natural lands and yeah. i think we need to really appreciate that more
1: yeah well clark this has been a fun conversation i really appreciate you coming up to me and, and asking to come yeah. on this is this has been a lot of fun um I'd love to have you come back on a, another time and I'd, I I want to hear about the dog sledding and the oh, guy yeah. like it's <laughs> I the the hard thing about these is I'm packing them in like so close that I don't get to really dive into like you know your personal story mm-hmm. which I'd love to do sometime because you seem like a really cool person. So awesome. we'll definitely have to have you come back on and um and hear more from you. But I've got a couple of last second questions right. for you. Um people will probably recognize some of these because I've been asking <laughs> a combination of these, uh, the different people that have come on, but do you have a favorite movie?
0: Oh man. Yes.
1: What, what's your favorite movie?
0: It's a weird one. That's okay. <laughs> As it is in heaven.
1: I've never heard of that.
0: I know. I think it's Swedish. It's this gorgeous language that I cannot at all understand. It was on Netflix for like a hot minute. Gotcha. And my friend told me about it and it's pretty artsy. Um, but yeah, it's about human connection. Cool. basically in the power of it that's awesome yeah
1: yeah nice okay so what's it again so people can go watch as it? as
0: it is in heaven as it
1: is in heaven highly recommended awesome uh pancakes or waffles
0: Ooh. i feel like i'm choosing between my parents they have very <laughs> strong views <laughs> 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 did i have like half and half nope no? you got it we're yeah. making you choose you All gotta right. go with one pancakes because you don't have to own a waffle iron oh as well
1: as pancakes. man you're letting me down okay <laughs> that's there's no wrong answers <laughs> unless you choose the wrong answer <laughs> which
0: yeah obviously there's um, okay uh what
1: would uh what would be a message you would send to your younger self if you could send one message back
0: be kinder to yourself
1: mm, I love that why would you send that message back
0: um well when it makes life more fun yes <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's the basis actually, I actually was just talking to my friend about this at lunch um even when talking about the environment or any kind of divisive issue, if you bring angst and anger to it, you're just shutting people down. And if you can come from a loving place, like loving humanity, loving nature and understanding that we're all just swimming through our own, you know, challenging upstream battle, uh, then you can actually affect change if you're coming from that loving place. And to do that, I think you have to be really good with yourself and again you just enjoy it all more it doesn't impact you so much when somebody else is having a terrible day you can just yeah. be like i'm sorry for you i'm gonna go smell these flowers <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh okay and i sorry i just want to reflect on that for a second because that would be one of the messages i would send back to myself as well i think i don't know this this concept of comparisons, is the thief of joy uh keeps showing up a lot in, in my life and i think that is kind of the same thing as, you know, you know, be kinder to yourself. Like I think so often we compare ourselves to where not even necessarily where other people are, but where we think we should be instead of just like being in the moment and taking whatever, whatever's going on as like, this is the, like this is the best thing ever. And it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow, but like, what, what am I doing right now? How can I be more present? And yeah, if we if we were kinder to ourselves, we could really hone in on that.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Again, we were talking, Julia, my friend Julia, she works at the hospital. She's a nurse. She's amazing. Um, she was, Hi, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> she was just saying that she saw a study that humans really were built to compare mm. ourselves to one another. And I think probably because we're social, social, but you're like 50% more likely to buy a car if your neighbor buys a car. Just on these really <laughs> subconscious levels. And so they were saying that's why social media is such an amplifying and challenging effect for us because we tune into it so naturally
1: yeah yeah no that's super interesting okay so final question right what is one action every person who's listening should take right now
0: Mm. hug yourself no
1: (laughs) that's a good one
0: (laughs) uh for the environment
1: for anything really i mean Mine, mine would be go listen to more podcasts, not just because I do want, but because I think they expose you to more people and more perspectives. And it's a way it's the, the poor man's way of seeing the world. So I would say listen to more podcasts. That's beautiful. Oh, I would, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I
0: would love to see that. I'll, I'll add, I would say walking. I love Ooh. walking, especially yes. in new towns or your old towns. And that's how you find those waterfalls. Yep. And you talk to random people and you feel like a traveler in your own town. And you can listen to podcasts while you do it.
1: Get out and walk more. do it all. I love it. Cool. Clark, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any final thoughts for us before I let you go?
0: No, just thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'm so excited to be here at this conference learning about what it is you guys are doing up here.
1: Well, I'm so glad you came. Everyone, thank you for listening. Go check out, what's the organization again?
0: Forever Our Rivers Foundation.
1: Go check out Forever Our Rivers. And until next time, safe travels. Hey friends, me again. Just a quick reminder that if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. See ya.